0: This is the Talk of Fame network on SB Nation Radio
1: and online at sbnationlive.com
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin and Ron Borges. Well, we are back. Back from an extent vacation, Ed. You run
2: in Europe, right? Yes, sir. Well, the only football they play involves your foot, more than a dozen times a game. Why they use their foot when God gave them two good hands, I don't understand. That's why they call it football. It's football. football. It's hey, where exactly were you? Everywhere, London, Yorkshire, Paris, Normandy, Omaha Beach, fantastic. Just, uh, uh, talk to fan-pan for that, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was just pocket. Hey, you have any recommendations for our listeners who are going there, huh? London, yeah, Paris, right?
2: well, I'd say one thing. Every American should visit the landing beaches at Normandy at some point in their life. Yep. Uh, you, make, uh, you may think you understand the sacrifices made during the D-Day invasion, uh, you know, by these young kids, 18 to 25 years old, to save the world from Hitler, but until you get there and you stand and you see what they were up against and what right. they did, uh, and, uh, you know, in the face of knowing how many people they were going to lose, I mean, it's just uh, its an amazing experience, uh, and the food in France ain't bad
1: either. And, and you, gooseman, you're back from Kent last weekend, right? Uh, yes, sir. A lot of power and passion there. Were you feeling it? Well, I, f- I felt the emotion from
3: Jerry Kramer and Bobby Bethard, you know, a couple guys in their 80s who waited a long time for this honor, an honor that both men probably never thought was going to come their way. You know, And I felt the emotion from Robert Brazil, who waited 29 years for his bust. And it was an honor. He had all but given up hope that he was ever going to receive. So those are the moments I remember and cherish the business again.
1: Well, I'm feeling the power and the passion, even though we don't have midnight oil today. But of today's show, it's going to feature Baltimore GM and Hall of Famer Ozzie Newsom. Terrell Owens, college football coach, Hall of Famer Andre Tippett, and Hall of Fame voter Eric Kaufman from Tampa to talk about the class of 2019. And I'm um, kind of interested in hearing from Owens' coach, and that would be Buddy Green, because I, I would like to know how different Owens is today from the guy he coached, because I'll be honest with you, I covered Owens, as you remember, as a rookie, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy.
3: And I'm sure he was that way on campus. I mean, he was a guy that brought him pick himself up in the bootstraps. You know, this is the funny thing is that the team was terrible. And he was just an average player. I
1: mean, yeah, six yeah.
3: Six catches. It just, it's, it's puzzling how he got from there to there.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting when I did that story, I'll never forget. He said, yes, sir, no, sir. So I said, tell terrible. you do not have to call me, sir. I'm not that old. He goes, yes, sir. I went, oh, okay. Uh, Ronnie, when do you get to call your coach? <laughs>
2: you know what? You should have stuck with the yes, sir, no, sir, when it came to T.O. They just said, yeah, okay, son, you just don't remember. That's exactly what I am. Sir, yes, Sir. No.
1: I'll tell you what I want. I want a T.O. And that's a timeout, guys. Not there alone. And we'll get one right now. You're listening to Talk Time Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Oh, Goose Man, as I said, you went to Canton last week at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I'm just wondering, um, what are people there, and I'm talking about in Ohio, saying, thinking, debating, whatever they're doing, about Urban Meyer and Ohio State?
3: Uh, Lots of chatter. I had some discussions myself over breakfast with some of the Hall's courtesy drivers. They understand the issue of domestic abuse, and they understand that there will be casualties in the athletic department and football office as a result. But the feeling is strong that they want Urban Meyer back as head coach of the Buckeyes.
1: Wow. Well, how do you think this thing plays out?
3: Well, I think Urban Meyer and, and the athletic director Gene Smith are both in very difficult spots at this moment. You know, if they knew about the incident, and it seems likely they did, they were both in position to do something but didn't, you know, I think someone's going to have to live out the consequences.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it looks to me like they're doing all they can to to make it appear at least that Urban Meyer followed the protocol, and and maybe he did, you know, and if he did, then he shouldn't lose his job. I mean, I'm not exactly clear on what the protocol was supposed to be, but if he followed it, um, then – you know, that that was really all he could ask of him. Uh, I'll tell you this much. He was smart enough to realize pretty quickly that he could never sell that urban didn't know thing that he tried on the first day, uh, especially <laughs> when it came out that his wife was, uh, was in an email conversations with a woman. So, uh, I think he showed, uh, some, uh, uh, adeptness there. And, uh, he looked like Barry Sanders when he reverse in his field. Uh, and I think if they can establish that he spoke to the AD, if that's how it was supposed to go, that he skates by. But, uh, but I'll also say, say this, and you guys have heard me say it before. My old friend Customato used to say, guys born round don't die square. You know, you keep ending up in these kind of situations, usually <laughs> something doesn't fit.
1: <laughs> well, thanks. Man. I'm going to write that down, Ronnie. Uh, your wife always knows, by the way. Urban Meyer, your wife always knows. I don't know how you <laughs> didn't know that. Uh, good to hear from you, Ronnie. I almost forgot about you. I mean, I asked Goose in the previous segment what he thought of the Hall's induction. I, I didn't ask you. What did you think about the induction ceremony last week?
2: Oh, yeah, look, uh, I thought it was great, really well done. Uh, uh, I didn't really agree with the criticism some people had for how the Hall uh, handled things when they didn't introduce uh, Terrell Owens. Uh, Right. Uh, to me, if you're not there by your own choice, it would be illogical to introduce you. You not who are you introduce introducing—an empty suit. Uh, you know it's kind of stupid. Uh, you know, now if they had taken him off the program cover or something like that, then I then or refused to give him his jacket, then I would have said you're, they were out of line. But they weren't. They just didn't introduce a guy who isn't there. I, I don't think that's a stunning thing. So, who do you think carried the, the evening, run? Uh, for me, uh, it was Brian Dawkins. I mean, his whole speech mm-hmm. about uh, uh, his battles with depression and kind of playing suicide, and how his wife and, and others, including Emmett Thomas, uh, Goose's pal, um, you know, helping him and, and urging him to get uh, clinical help. Uh, I thought that was a pretty courageous thing to do and, and uh, will very likely be helpful to some person out there who saw that speech who was uh, battling depression themselves.
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised. I'd never heard that story before. I don't know if people covering the Eagles had, but uh, I was surprised. And, and what I loved about that entire evening was, you know, passion, emotion, gratitude. I mean, there's often that at these um, ceremonies, but it was all done generally within the boundaries. And I'm talking the time boundaries of the I'd like to keep it, which is 15 minutes. <laughs> For acceptance speeches, and I know Ray Lewis broke the 30 minute barrier, no surprise there, um, especially <laughs> to the Hall of Fame because they outfitted him with a wireless mic. When you saw that, Gucci were there, you know, uh oh, it's over. <laughs> the Reverend Ray about to speak. Uh, they knew what they were going to get, and it was the gospel corner, right? But um, all but him and Brian Dawkins were under 20 minutes, and, and Dawkins was just over, So the night didn't run long. And, and, you know, granted, one guy wasn't there, and Bobby Beathard had a two-minute video. But it just seemed it was like the evening moved along at a reasonably brisk pace, at least according to the Hall of Fame standards.
3: Yeah, having been to a few dozen of these, I'm all for a fast-paced ceremony. I've been to some where, by the end of the night, almost all the Hall of Famers on the stage had left. Five yep. guys last Saturday night proved you can say all you need to say in fewer than 20 minutes. A guy who has to go past 20 minutes, turn off his mic.
2: Yep. <laughs> well, that, and Lewis, so i doing you're that have, with Ray Lewis. Yeah, you'd have to tackle him and take it off his head, which <laughs> would be tough. But, uh, uh, the one thing I want to say about it is is, is this, Clark. Uh, it was faster than most Red Sox-Yankee games, uh, although this past weekend they went pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> Thanks always, very much. You may or may yeah. not be aware. <laughs>
1: low blow, which I always expect from you, Ron. Thank you very much. I, I, it's funny. It only took you uh, two segments to get into that. <laughs> exactly. um, hey, hey Goofman, um I know you introduced Jerry Kramer to the um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Board back in February, and he was elected then. He, he waited 45 years to make his speech. And you know what? I, I really thought He was magnificent. I know we've had him on here before. I thought he was terrific. How about
3: you? Uh, It certainly was heartfelt. And if there was one positive to come out of Jerry's 45-year wait for induction, it's that his induction speech educated another generation of football fans to a very special team, a very special time, and a very special coach in Green Bay in the 1960s. I saw where Troy Aikman tweeted after Kramer's speech that he would have loved to have played for Lombardi and would have loved to have been a teammate of Jerry Kramer's. I think Jerry's message came across loud and clear.
1: Yeah, so do I. And, and uh, Ron, I don't know if I should direct a question to you now at, after that dig at the Red Sox-Yankees. <laughs> and Yankees. But you know what? Yankees deserve it. <laughs> they really did. Stunk. Um, but I was surprised Kramer didn't go on, let's say, like an hour and 45 minutes after waiting that long. But like who said, he said what he wanted. To say. It came from the heart. It was anecdotal. It was heartwarming. To me, it was honestly surprisingly tight.
2: Yeah, no, I thought it was terrific. And the thing that's really uh, stuck out in my mind was when he talked about the phrase that uh – his high school coach used to use, and you could see when they panned to his kids that they had heard it many times. You can if you will. Uh, right. Something I'm sure I'm going to steal and uh, level at my hockey players this winter, you know. And uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you, I think uh, Joe Horgan can use it in the future when uh, when he's asking the next wave of Hall of Famers to keep it to 20 minutes. You can
1: if you will. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Goose? Can you? Will you? <laughs>
2: Already done
3: it. <laughs>
1: Well, speaking of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Rick Goslin made a case this week on our website for a linebacker, and our website, of course, is talkofamenetwork.com for a linebacker who should get attention, at least in his estimation, for Canton. And that's London Fletcher, retired after the 2013 season in Goose. Uh, I guess this was your own London calling. So (laughs) tell us what you like about London Fletcher and why you think he's Hall of Fame worthy.
3: Well, there was room in Canton for a Pro Bowl middle linebacker who started in two Super Bowls and collected 2,000 career tackles. His name was Ray Lewis. But is there room for another? And that's what London Fletcher would like to know. As a Super Bowl MVP and a member of the 2000 NFL All-Decade team, Lewis was a slam-dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. He arrived in the NFL as a first-round pick and exceeded the level and expectations of his draft slot. Fletcher was not a first-round draft pick. He wasn't even a draft pick. He wasn't even a scholarship football player in college, earning NCAA Division III Linebacker of the Year honors at John Carroll. But it wasn't just his level of competition that hurt his draft stock. At 5'10", Fletcher didn't fit the prototype for his position. At that size, middle linebackers tend to be swallowed up by the NFL centers and guards. So he signed with the St. Louis Rams as an undrafted free agent and went on to become one of only two rookies to make the team. He spent his rookie year chasing kicks on special teams but made his first NFL start in the season finale against San Francisco. He remained on the field as a starter for the next 14 seasons, starting 223 of a possible 224 games. He sat out the first snap of a 2000 game against Carolina when the Panthers opened in a four-receiver set. That was his only miss. He strung together 14 consecutive seasons of 100 plus tackles including a career best and NFL leading 166 in 2011 at the age of 36. Now despite all of his tackles, Fletcher found himself competing for Pro Bowl spots in the NFC with first round draft picks Brian Urlacher, Dan Morgan, Keith Brooking, and Mark Fields and over in the AFC with Ray Lewis, Jonathan Vilma and Al Wilson. Wilson. As a result, he was selected to a Pro Bowl alternate eight times before his first Pro Bowl in 2008 at the age of 33. As an undrafted free agent, Fletcher took the long path to get to this point, the longest, in fact. After his five-year waiting period, he will be... Lewis was ushered into Canton as, on the first ballot. Fletcher has finished his five years and is up for election in 2019. Fletcher lacks the Pro Bowls of Lewis in the old decade acclaim, but what does the tape say?
1: I don't know, Goose, but I'll tell you what, London's not calling now, not yet, but a commercial is. We've got to go, and we are right now. Thanks, Goose, man. This is the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, 10 years ago, Andre Tipper
1: was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and as one of only 318 players in to Canton. It's something he's always taken seriously. And this year was no different. In fact, until his daughter's wedding last week, he never failed to return to Cannes to celebrate incoming Hall of Famer's induction. But this year, like Carol Owens, he didn't make it, albeit for far, far different reasons. So we've invited Tip to the Talk of Fame Network to explain what the Hall means to him and what T.O. missed out on last weekend. Andre Tippett, thanks for joining us again.
4: I'm happy to be here with you guys. And uh, it's, it's always awesome to talk about uh, Hall of Fame and uh, talking with you guys.
2: Well, you know, Tip, you've always seemed to take the Hall very seriously since your induction. And uh, you know, what does it mean to you to be among one of those 318 players out of all the thousands and thousands of players to ever play uh, to make it to camp?
4: Well, you know, I always feel like I'm the luckiest man alive. I mean, it, uh, the Hall of Fame means a lot to me. Uh, I know what the Hall of Fame stands for. Uh, I know what it takes to get there. Um And it's something that you don't take lightly. You know, it's, uh, we, you know, I've always been told that, uh, you know, it's a privilege to play the game. And to play the game at a high level for a long time makes it even better uh, because then that sets you up for an opportunity to be considered uh, for Hall of Fame worthy.
3: Tip, the Nitsky luncheon is, is exclusively for the Hall of Famers. Only the Gold Jackets get in that room to talk and visit with it. So what was your first Nitschke luncheon like? And what, what, how, what did they impress on you?
4: Well, you know, um, it, it was probably one of the highlights of my, 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 my Hall of Fame week. And the fact that Deacon Jones was there talking, kind of picking up the slack from uh, Ray Nitschke, and, uh, The thing that he said to me resonated, and as it resonates to all of us, uh, you can't get cut, uh, you can't quit, and uh, you're here forever. And that's what it means uh, to be part of that. Everybody's on the same level. And uh, no one's higher, lower than anyone. We're now one big family. So, Tip, I've
1: have got, got a question for you on well, <laughs> everything these days leads to Sarah Lawrence is like three degrees of separation to Sarah Lawrence. I'll ask you when you when you first heard that he was going to boycott the event. Just wondering, what did you think, and
4: did you honestly believe that he followed through on it? Well, when I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I thought it was going to be you know all hype, and uh, I'm like, who I'm like, who in their right mind is going to miss one of the greatest opportunities in the world? It's the last honor or the last opportunity to get a high honor like that after your playing days are over and uh, when I heard it and then when it happened I still couldn't believe it Uh, I felt bad not only did I feel bad for Tell I felt bad for everybody that's coached him his family people that have meant something to him regarding the game and uh I, I thought that it was uh it was a shame that he missed that opportunity because the experience was something that you'd never be able to capture again. I know for me, the experience that week it, it set the bar and when I came back the next year I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not getting the same uh hype and, and everything that I was getting before. <laughs> but I understood, you know, they uh when you're in that class and it's your time, they make you feel like you're on top of the world. Well,
1: Tippy you said you couldn't believe it, but do you understand it now or not?
4: I, in a way, I do. You know, I heard his, um, I heard his speech, and I heard what he had to say, and I thought that you know what, you got a message to give. Give the message in Canton. Uh, the Hall of Fame doesn't have anything to do with. What happened to you? And the fact that you got missed three times, so what? What's the big deal? I mean, a guy like uh, our guy from the Packers, 68 years it took for him to get in. And, you know, he's still happy as a peach to be there. So uh, I think he could have still given his message there at the Hall of Fame, and I think it would have went over just as big as it did down in Chattanooga.
2: Well, Tiff, the, the the word is that a lot of the Hall of Famers were uh, displeased uh, with Yo's decision, and they expressed it uh, in that closed door luncheon for the inductees only. Uh, and now there's some talk of possible rule proposals to make the 25 semifinalists basically sign an agreement that they will definitely show up if they're selected. Um, as a guy in the Hall yourself. Uh, you know, what do you think of that thought? I mean, it, it, to me it seems a little unwise. It, uh, I don't think it's really necessary. Uh, and frankly, if a guy doesn't want to show up, I guess he's got the right not to. But what's your
4: take on it? I think it's something that we got to be very careful of. I believe that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to change. You want to try to change the rule for one guy. And the rule is still the same. The rule should be the same for everybody. And if he chooses not to be there, so be it. It's his loss, and, you know, if you want to be treated differently, then, you know, that's what's going to happen to you. And, you know, I feel sorry for anybody that wants to follow that, that route because, you know, it's a it's a lose-lose. Um, you know, a field, goal, a field goal is worth three points on the West Coast. A field goal has got to be worth three points on the East Coast. You can't go changing. Uh, the rules, because that's going to open the door for a whole bunch of other stuff. And uh, I don't think we want to go down that Pandora's box.
3: So, Tip, I got two quick questions for you. First one. So you never thought of holding your induction ceremony at Iowa City?
4: <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not one, uh, not one time. I, uh, I was looking forward to being in Canton. Uh, I had heard all the stories from John Hanna and some of the other guys, and I was looking forward to my uh, my day. Uh, it, it was a, it was an amazing opportunity, and to this day, I'll never forget it. Uh, it, it, it was awesome, and to be there with my brethren uh, made it even more more of a, a, a strong bond.
3: Okay, my next question is, Owen's claimed he'd been denied his rightful due by the voters and was ostracized, and those are his words, because he had to wait as long as, as you did. We'll never know just how difficult... How, how difficult was it to get passed over? Is it to get passed over?
4: Hey, I you know, I told I told people before uh, I made the finalists in 07, and that when I didn't get in, I got the call, I cried like a baby. And then in 08, when I got in, I still cried like a baby. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things that people say to me, it's about time. And I said, no, it's not about, don't say that. For me, it was well worth the wait. So, hey, it, 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 it you know, it's a human nature thing. Everybody got different personalities, and, and, and people got their reasons for doing whatever they do. But I think in the long run, in the way you guys have that, So the way the selection committee is set up, that eventually uh, the cream always comes to the top and that person that deserves to be in will get in. Hey, Tip,
1: I'll just let you know that we cry every time we get a phone call from Ron Borges, too, so I understand <laughs> yeah.
4: that. A lot, of, a lot of people do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're talking to Andre Tippett on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at TalkOfFameNetwork.com or on Twitter at, at net. And, Tip, please explain to our listeners, if you could, other than the induction ceremony itself, what did Terrell Owens miss last weekend that the rest of the class
4: got to experience? Um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you get an opportunity to say thank you in front of a million people, a million plus people uh, through the networks, and 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 the thousands of people that are there in attendance. You get an opportunity to be humble and to thank everybody that had something to do with the role of you becoming a great player that you get you, that you became, and you know it. it that's what the Hall of Fame induction speeches are all about. And he missed out on that, and he missed out on the camaraderie of seeing all those other gold jackets. And I know there are a ton of guys that he wanted to emulate or he tried to emulate as a kid growing up. And to be sitting in the same room with those guys, uh, he missed all of that. I mean, the the, the love that goes around. And just, just, I mean, there would have been so many guys coming up to him and hugging him and saying, hey, man. It took you a while to get here, but you're here. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, and it's a place that you can't cut. You can't get cut. You can't quit, and you're here forever. And uh, the goosebumps would have just been all over him. His hair would have stood up on the back of his neck. And just the love from uh, what the whole Hall of Fame stands for, he missed out on that.
2: What's the most significant thing, the tip, that uh, you've learned about the men who made the hall before you that perhaps you didn't realize until you were sitting in that Nitschke luncheon with all those guys like Deacon Jones and Gino Marchetti and, and all those great players?
4: You know, I, it, it, these guys had a lot of passion, Ron. And, I mean, yeah, everybody that plays the game, be it the high school level, the college level, the pro level, there's passion. But... When you look at the the, the great ones, the guys that are in that room, the the Hall of Fame members, uh, there is such a high level of passion for the game and the uh, ability to will their souls in a game all the time on a consistent basis. It, it, it's amazing. And uh, But the, that one thing that stands out is that passion, that real passion and love for the game of football is, uh, is, is, is at a very high, high, high level.
1: Hey, Tip, quick question for you. What will you do if T.O. shows up next year? Give him a handshake, back rub, cold shoulder, man hug. What will you do?
4: <laughs> you know, I don't know him. And, uh, you know, if he shows up, I'm going I'm to I'm give him a handshake and say, hey, man, welcome. And if I can ever be of any assistance I, from a conversation standpoint, I'm there for you. And, uh, you know, I'm hope, I'm hoping that you're ready to move on from whatever pent-up aggression that you have towards someone or anybody because, uh, you know, this game, this Hall of Fame is bigger than all of us. And uh, now we're here. We're part of uh, something – that's greater than us and just take the time to enjoy it because life is short tip thanks so much
1: for the time and the insight thank you very much that was great thanks tip thank you guys thanks tip. Now, that was hall of fame andre Tippett up next carol owens college coach listen to the talk of fame network
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we've been talking about Terrell Owens, and now
1: we're going to talk to someone
0: who knows him and knows him
1: well. Buddy Green was his college coach at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga in the 1990s, and he returned to campus last weekend to celebrate his former player's election to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, Buddy spent 35 seasons coaching college football, including stints as a defensive coordinator at both Navy and North Carolina State in addition to his six years as head coach at Chattanooga. Moreover, his first two seasons at Chattanooga in and ninety five just happened to be the final two college seasons of Terrell Orange. Buddy, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, good to be with you.
3: Buddy, could you have envisioned the receiver you saw on campus in 1995 having a football career that would earn him a bust in the Pro Football Hall of Fame?
5: Uh, you know, the, the thing that... Uh, stood out to me uh, about Terrell was that uh, he matured a lot just grew uh, so much and I think he uh, he had the passion for the game to compete and he had the toughness he had all those qualities you know size uh I talked him out of playing basketball his last season, and and just dedicating himself to the weight room and one thing, and really he, he just took off. But getting to uh, be with Jerry Rice and, and learning how to work as a pro, you know, at the at the top the top level, I think was really the number one you know thing that uh, developed him and what what made him today.
2: As you know, of course, uh, uh, Terrell made the choice of not going to Canton. He was the first player ever to not be at his own induction uh, uh, ceremony, and, and he went, of course, and celebrated in Chattanooga. Um, could you describe a little bit what the what the feeling was at that event? Uh, you mentioned how it was separate, uh, very special for the city, of course, but what was it sort of like? The, what was your sense of it all?
5: Oh, it was, it was incredible. I mean, it was in the uh, basketball arena, 4,000 people, and uh, – you know, they were close to all his family, friends, coaches go back, uh to even his Pop Warner days, uh, uh teammates were there, uh Ray Sherman, coaching McDallas, uh Curtis, Leia Curtsey, coaching Mc San Francisco, uh and fans. I mean fans uh they were Eagle fans there, they were Cowboys fans there. it was uh it was an incredible, you know, setting and uh, uh they just did a great job with it and uh, you know they named the street after him and gave him the street sign uh, Carol Owens way right after it was over, but the presentation of the the jacket by Ray Sherman and his mom uh it it was just really it was for chattanooga for the the campus uh, for u t c uh it was an incredible deal because great reception afterwards uh you know a special dinner Friday night. Uh. Darryl interacted with the uh. students on campus on Friday. He took over a hundred more kids and uh. you know, took them to Dick Sporting Goods and bought shoes for them for school. Uh, the whole weekend was just uh. a, t- a tremendous atmosphere that was um it was pretty special,
1: obviously. But it, a two part question here. A. Were you surprised he made that choice when he made the announcement he wasn't going to camp and he was going to do it elsewhere? And B. How much has he changed? In the 23 years since he left campus, uh, you know, I didn't really. Uh,
5: a couple of people had called me about some interviews in the summer, and I, I really didn't wasn't aware uh, to really late, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that he had made that decision. And and you know, hey, that's his decision, and it's what he wanted to do. So uh, you know, I was uh, I was. More than ready to to come to Chattanooga and be with him and and really uh you know we hugged and and uh spent time together and you know i i didn't see uh, you know i saw the same guy that you know I, that, that i hadn't seen in a very long time but uh the same man that i you know i saw many years ago with the uh, same type personality and uh you know he just obviously very very special now one of the best ever play the game.
3: Speaking of long time ago, what what's your favorite memory of Terrell Owens as a UT Chattanooga mock?
5: Best memories. Yes. Uh, I tell you, one of the best. Uh, We're playing East Tennessee State up there. They got a small little mini dome, and uh, I put him at quarterback in a shotgun, and just really had a kind of a sweep uh, called where he's just going to run the ball and kind of like a quarterback follow play, and. Uh, he hit the line of scrimmage inside the tackle box between the tackle and the DN and nobody touched him. Seventy yards later he was in the end zone. And that was probably the most incredible. It was like one of the, wow. I mean, you know, obviously you expect him to take it outside, but he saw a crease inside and he hit the line of scrimmage and he was gone. And that was uh and then the the special memory to me was San Francisco was uh without a doubt, the one most interested all the time. And and scout came around and the day he came in the spring, wanted to work him out. It was raining outside really, really hard. We had no indoor facility. So we went into the basketball arena, which is concrete, marked off 40 yards. He ran his 40 for the scout, about ran through the locker room doors and about broke his dang leg. And uh, did some ball drills with tennis shoes on and uh, ran, I think, a four four six or something. But that memory right there was uh that hey, was you know kind of old school you know, and uh their evaluation was uh was right on i mean they you know, so they liked his toughness, but those two are are really good memories well,
2: you know, why why do you think it is that he seems to be uh such a uh... Enigma or, or misunderstood. I mean, you watch the way he plays. You know, I was at that Super Bowl when he was with the Eagles, and uh, you know, if they win the game, he's the MVP, and he probably should have been the MVP anyway. What he did on a broken leg, uh, you know, and then six months later, uh, everything sort of blows up. What is it that people don't get about him? Uh, what are they missing? Well, you
5: know, uh, I, this is me. I, I didn't mean, to take this any way you want, but I think sometimes people perceive passion. You know, it's uh, some kind of anger, you know, it's, that he has. he has. He has passion for the game. Um, I talked to him in the morning after that game, the Super Bowl, and, I mean, he cried. We cried together on the phone for a long, long time. I mean, you talk about someone that was just totally, totally crushed. And um, like you just said, I mean, he probably doctors or whomever told him, you know, not to play. You go, you're playing on your own. We're not going to accept uh, liability. But, uh, you know, his passion to win and wanting to give Philadelphia a Super Bowl back then, uh, you know, I, I don't know how anyone, you know, can perceive anything else. He's got a passion for the game, to compete and win, help his team win. And, uh, you know, it takes it very personal for the team to want to win. And uh, I just know that, uh like I said, we talked that next morning. I called him, and he uh, talked about a man that uh, he, he he didn't even talk about, you know, how well he played. That didn't matter. All he cared about was, you know, that they didn't win the game. They lost an opportunity to be a Super Bowl champ.
1: Nevertheless, buddy, as you know, um, there are numbers of people who have stepped forward and said he was a bad teammate and he was divisive influence. I guess I'm wondering, when you hear that, um, you ask yourself, who are they talking about? Or, um, you know, this isn't the guy we had at Chattanooga because he was a different kind of guy. Well,
5: the, the guy we had at Chattanooga was a guy that uh, yeah, first guy on the field, last guy to leave, worked his butt off, played on all special teams, and played hard. And uh, really, I, I can remember uh, when San Francisco came through and and we went upstairs and watched all the special teams. You know, the scouts said, wow, I mean, we don't have many receivers that I want to mix it up and be the first guy down the field on the kickoff team and punt team. He said, you know, this guy, you know, he wants to play every snap. And uh to be honest with you, being a defensive, me mine, coach for, you know, 40 years, uh, man, he would have been a great, you know, free safety back there when I first saw him. But, <laughs> uh, no, he, he was uh, – he was a leader for us, and if you talk to the basketball coach, he played both sports. If you talk to Mac McCarthy, our basketball coach at uh, UTC at the time, that they went to the Sweet Sixteen and basket two away from the Elite Eight, they tell you the same thing. I mean, he, he he motivated his teammates the way he played, how hard he played when he went into the lineup, and uh, no, that's uh, that's the guy I knew when he played for me.
3: Buddy, since his election, Terrell has repeatedly said the Hall of Fame doesn't mean that much to him. So let me ask you, as his coach and friend, was and is this Hall of Fame designation important to Terrell Owens?
5: Well, all I know is that uh, the celebration that he had, uh, that we had uh, in Chattanooga this weekend uh, with all his, you know, family his friends, all his coaches, going back to little league, uh, every his pro coaches there, the position coaches, uh, all came, you know, for the celebration. I know, uh, you know, how important that was to him. I mean, how that how special it was to him. Now, whatever you know was said about him didn't mean this or didn't mean that. I just know uh, how important, how emotional, and, and just. Uh, to, to be with all his friends and fans, and and it was uh, it was a special deal, and I think it meant a lot to him for that to happen there Saturday this past weekend in, in Chattanooga.
2: Oh, one, one last thing, uh, Buddy, about yourself. Uh, you spent 14 years at the Naval Academy, and in 2016 you received the Steve uh, Belichick Award in retirement uh, for lifetime achievement in coaching. And uh, Bill Belichick uh, made the presentation to you. Uh, how much did that award mean to you? Because we all know how much uh, the Naval Academy meant to, to Steve and what a fixture he was there.
5: No, oh, it it meant so much. And, uh to have Chris Belichick be there to present it to me. You know, when we went to Navy, when I was at Navy, uh, uh, Steve, Coach Belichick's uh, dad, uh, you know, of course retired and he coached it for 30 years and he would come up to our office lounge area and, and about every day, uh, you know, we'd read the newspaper and he would drink some coffee and when I'd have a defensive break and, you know, would maybe go uh, take a little break and go out to the lounge, uh, he would stop me about every Monday and uh he'd have the same question and and you know, he'd say, You yeah, know, buddy, look, you know, am I right? They were so much bigger than us and I said, Yeah, coach, you're right. He said, Am I right? They were so much damn faster than us, right? I said, Yep. And he'd say, Every Monday he said, How the hell are we are we beating these guys? You know, it was it was really uh and we would talk for a long time and I was able to get my hands on uh from his former players, a lot of the scouting reports that he did, handwritten and it was just so detailed, it was unbelievable. The one he did on Michigan when they went out and beat them was uh, uh you know just special. But uh during my time at Navy, uh you know, we got the opportunity to go and spend time uh, with Coach Belichick in New England and uh, you know, he just opened the door to me and our staff and anything we you know we needed or wanted. Uh you know, we got, and uh, I really didn't spend so much time in uh, you know, showing my kids the cut ups of the Patriots defense, you know, the way it's done the right way. But we had a special bond, you know, with Coach Belichick and his family. Uh, they donated the library that's at the uh, football office at Navy now. Uh, but it was, it was a really special deal to have Coach there to, uh, you know, present that to me because I had so much. Respect for his dad
1: and getting to know him. And uh, it, was a, it was a really special deal. Buddy, it's been a special deal for us. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank you guys and uh,
5: appreciate you uh, having me. And, uh, you know, look forward to hearing you guys
0: again. Thanks. You got it. Thanks,
1: buddy. That was former UT Chattanooga coach Buddy Green coming up. It's two minute trail. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, it's been a while since we've heard this, so let's hear it. That's the two-minute warning. That signals our two-minute drill. Yes, we're back with Ron calling it, and Goose and I running So, Ronnie, take it away.
2: Okay, guys. Daryl Owens insisted Hall of Fame bonus are not, quote, in alignment with the mission and core value of the Hall of Fame. Guys who boycotted in alignment with the Hall of Fame? Is printing on the star alignment,
3: uh, alignment with the mission and core values of the NFL?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, Ron. I'm going to have to check with Tio's mechanic to see if his tires are aligned.
2: (laughs) Browns coach Hugh Jackson says he's not changing his mind. Tyrod Taylor, speaking of cars, is his starting quarterback, not number one pick Baker Mayfield. Isn't it a little
1: early to make that decision? Experience is the
3: best teacher. Every time the expansion Browns put a rookie quarterback on the field, they ruin him.
1: When it comes to Cleveland, never too early for bad news.
2: <laughs> 12-year veteran safety Eric Weddle says often the offense's latest craze, the run-pass option, is a fad that will disappear in five years. What say you about the future of RPOs in the NFL? How long did the run and shoot last? There's blocking and
3: tackling, and everything else is a gimmick.
1: RPOs? bye, bye, bye. Oh, that's
2: an IPO. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Andrew Luck has not taken a snap in a real game in 518 days. So what happens to him and the Colts in September? My money says he ends the drought in September.
1: More bad luck.
2: <laughs> when it comes to dance steps, who do you like? Ray Lewis, Michael Jackson,
1: or Ben Vereen?
3: Only one
2: starred on Broadway
3: in Pippin, and it wasn't Ray or Mike.
1: When it comes to dance Steps, Gene Kelly. <laughs> Which, Wow. Which Hall of Fame induction speech moved you the most? <laughs> Jerry
3: Kramer, 45 years in the making and worth every word.
1: Ray Lewis. I switched my seat six times before it was over, so I moved. <laughs> Where did T.O. speech move you to?
3: <laughs> Not as much as it did for UT Chattanooga.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did for me what it did for Ken. I never heard it, and I never saw it.
2: Raiders pass rusher Khalil Mack is set to earn $13.846 million, but he's holding out at a cost of $30,000 a day. How many days of that before he's he's uh, made a loser's bet? He's betting on John Gruden
3: intervening. I think it's a good bet. John was hired to win, not rebuild.
1: Uh, it depends on how many John Gruden vintage films he can stand to miss. That's the end of the day. That's the end of the first half of our show, but don't go anywhere. There's plenty more with Baltimore GM Ozzie Newsom, class of 2019, and the TO Boycott coming up. This is the Talk frame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Welcome back. down number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with Rick and Ron, and we are the Talk of Fame Network. We're in our fifth year now. Wow, five years, and we've expanded to doing weekly podcasts. In fact, you can catch a couple of interviews we have this week with John Oway and Lance Allworth on our website talkofamenetwork.com. com, or in another carrier that'd be vocalnow.com dot com, now dot com. And goose, speaking of Lance Allworth, something I noticed uh, this week was someone someone <sighs> <laughs> that it's quote generally accepted unquote that um, that Carol Owens and Randy Moss are two or Three of the greatest receivers of all time. And that got me to thinking, they are? Says who? I mean, where does that Lebo say Lance Allworth or Don Hudson, Paul Warfield, Raymond Berry, or to go to today's game, Larry Fitzgerald? And, And how can Carol Owens be considered one of the, quote, two or three best of all time, unquote? when he wasn't even first-team all decade. I need some explaining, Goose, and you're just the man to do
3: it. Yeah, those who say that are using stats as the crux of their argument, but what they don't seem to realize is that the game has changed over the years. Back in the 1970s, Drew Pearson and Paul Warfield had to fight for every inch of space in their routes against defensive backs in their face every step of the way. But defense has long since been legislated out of the game with all these offensive-friendly rules. You can't hit the receivers, can't hit the quarterbacks. Offensive linemen can hold. Wideouts can catch passes running carefree across the middle without the fear of Jack Tatum clocking them. The good receivers should catch 100 passes in a season and 1,000 in their careers. But that doesn't mean that Terrell Owens is better than Lance Allworth or Larry Fitzgerald is better than Raymond Berry.
1: Well, Lance Allworth was, uh, as I said, on a podcast for us, and he was making a pitch for senior candidate Johnny Robinson. And, Ronnie, you're on the senior committee, along with Goose. The two of you are going to be in Canton next week to vote on a candidate for 2019. Where do you stand on Johnny Robinson, and what do you think his chances are either this year or going forward in the future?
2: Uh, I stand tall for him. Uh, He's one of several glaring examples of how former AFL players got screwed by the process uh, for a long time uh, because after the merger there were 12 voters representing old guard NFL teams and eight representing the afl and the old guard didn't like the afl and and they made those players play so uh, he's definitely on my radar screen and well deserving
1: yeah unfortunately so many candidates as you guys know and so few spots good luck to you and good luck to johnny robinson anyway up next it's the class of 2019 we're gonna take a look at it you're listening to talk of Fame network
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Hey guys, before we go farther, I want to give a shout out to Kirk Reynolds, Eddie DeBartolo, and the San Francisco 49ers for putting on last week's memorial service in San Francisco that I attended, which was more fittingly called a celebration of life. It was a celebration of life for Dwight Clark, who passed away in June from ALS at the age of 61. and That's Service included a lot of memorable speakers, including Dwight's brother, Joe Montana, and Eddie himself. And, and one of the things that stuck with me were some of the last words that Dwight spoke to Eddie before dying, and he mentioned that to the congregation, and that was, Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And I, I thought that was perfect, encapsulated everything you knew about Dwight, and you guys knew him. I mean, Dwight Clark was a good friend. We had him on the show several times. And he's going to be missed by any and all who knew him. And honestly, Goose, I thought he was one of the best people I've ever, ever met in this game of football.
3: Yeah, I didn't know him like you did, Clark. But he was a guy you always wanted to visit in whatever building he was working. In good times and bad, Dwight, fittingly, always wore a smile.
2: Yeah, you know he's a great guy. You know he showed great dignity uh, as he really fought a you know a heartless disease. Um, his last appearance in San Francisco was really moving, uh, as was the last roundup in Montana. And you wrote, uh, Clark, I hate to say this, uh, but quite eloquently about uh, uh, that service. You really did. And uh, it, was it more I wonder than you expected emotionally?
1: Um, no. Um it, it was it was um it was exactly what I did expect because it's kind of what the people in and around uh, Dwight Clark's uh, family wanted and, and if you guys knew him, that's how he was. He just was always laughing, telling stories and, and they try to keep it light. I was shocked to see Eddie held it together because I know how close he was to him. But um, afterwards, we met across the street um, and a- a- at a hotel, and it was just it was great to be back. It was like turning the clock back 20 years. You know, it was great to see all these guys that I covered in the 49ers. I loved covering them. I love being in San Francisco. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Ron, I-, I, was- I was glad to see Roger Goodell out there. I mean, he was out there because, to me, the NFL needed to be represented. I mean, Dwight made one of the most unforgettable catches in league history. And as I said, it it was good to see at least the NFL. Remembered.
2: You're right, you know, as, as they should have. And, you know, uh, th- sometimes I think they forget that today's successes were built on the shoulders of all these great players and all the great plays uh, like the catch. You know, I, I believe it was Joe Montana who said at the celebration, they didn't call it the throw. And no, they didn't. You know, <laughs> I mean, and considering, yeah, right. you know, wh- what the uh, present has become in the NFL, I'd say a bit more celebrating of the past uh, and, and guys like Dwight Clark would be a damn good th- use of of Goodell's time and everybody else's time there on Park Avenue. Yeah, man. In
3: moments like this, you want to see the commissioner, and you did.
1: Yeah, right. Well, speaking of remembering, guys, I have a note here to remember to talk to you about what's next for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I mean beyond this month's senior contributor votes, and, and what's next is the class of 2019. I see some people already are forecasting the winners for next year, <laughs> um, as you might expect. Yeah, shocking. Enough. Um, they have Ed Reed, Tony Gonzalez, and Champ Bailey all there as – Ron hit it. First ballot Hall of Famers. And, Ron, I I, I forgot. What is it they call the last guy to graduate in this class in
6: med school? They call him? A doctor. <laughs> Nobody <you>. says
2: <laughs> where you rank. This is the stupidest thing. I mean, look, I'm fine with Ed Reed. He's one of the great playmakers of all time. Uh, but the others, in my mind, including Tony Gonzalez, uh, uh, can wait. Uh, and I know I'm a little biased on this, but do not tell me that Champ Bailey was a better or more impactful cornerback than Ty Law. Did they change the rules for Champ Bailey? No they did not. Did they ever fit him for a ring? No, they did not. Does he have more picks than Ty Law? No he does not. Did he cause more turnovers? No he did not. So other than buying beers at the Pro Bowl so you get back there the next year, what did he do? He's a great player. But you know, wait. It's time for you to wait. You know, and, and look, you guys know, and Ty Law's not the only guy like this. Guys who played like high Law, and I, you know, I pitched Les Richter uh, years ago, who, who didn't get in the hall when he went to the uh, was All Pro player eight times in nine years, because they were hard those guys who didn't make friends. They picked people up and threw them out of bounds into the Gatorade bucket. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, when right. when you're filling out that Pro Bowl ballot, he's probably not somebody you're checking off, but they don't want to play against. So, Goose,
1: what, what's the fascination with the first ballot guys? I mean, I can see Ed Reed like Ron can, but, but why can't, like, say, a Gonzalez and Bailey wait a year? I mean, we have a slew of offensive linemen who waited and waited and waited. Goose, I'm with you when you say respect the cue, but we don't as a board. We don't. We put in five guys as you a combined eight years of eligibility and left these offensive linemen, Ty Law and John Lynch, waiting and waiting and waiting.
3: Yeah, and that's why the senior abyss right now includes 66 all-decade players. The rest to enshrine players in the first ballot. Quality candidates slip, then slip again. And suddenly their 25-year win of eligibility is up in a blur. They find themselves in the senior pool. You know, I'm of the belief they're first ballot Hall of Famers. They're Hall of Famers and first ballot guys. Jim Brown, first ballot. Curtis Martin, Hall of Famer. John Unitas, First ballot. Bob Greasy, Hall of Famer. The first-belt guys are the players who defined their positions. There may be only 15 or 20 of them in the history of the game. But we're trying a lot of guys of late on the first belt that played the position, not define it.
1: Hey, Ron, when I look to this class, I think the guy who could be in trouble is Lynch. I mean, he's going to lose out to Reed this year, okay? Yeah. And Palomaro comes up next year, and sooner or later, people may start forgetting about him and pushing him to the back of the pack. In fact, they already are sort of pushing him backwards. And from there, it's the senior pool, or as you guys call it, Ron.
2: The great abyss. Let me tell you, <laughs> look, if we continue to go the way we're going, the next generation of voters are going to look back at us and say, what in the hell were those guys doing? Did they have a clue since the year 2000, our little group has put in 40% of the first ballot uh, Hall of Famers of all time. That's, pardon my language, as David Ortiz would say, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's ridiculous what we're doing, uh, and, you know, and we're doing it in the guise of, well, I'm going to put in the best five guys that are on the list this year. Well, that doesn't make you first ballot Hall of Famer just because you know you, you, somebody thinks you're better than this guy. But were you Jim Brown, like Goose said? Were you Johnny Unitas? Were you Deacon Joe? No, you weren't. So sit down and wait. I mean, it's 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 uh, we're creating a big problem, uh, and the problem is already huge in that senior uh, uh, pool, as as Goose just pointed out. Think about that: 66 all-decade players have tumbled into that great abyss already and let me tell you more ahead of that way if we keep going the way we're going
3: hey Clark I can't wait till Ron gets up to pitch Tom Brady and says Tom's a Hall of Fair, but he can wait
2: a year or two <laughs> no he can go in with Unitas <laughs> Tom Brady and sit down yeah. and to me guys that's what it should be and, and Goose mentioned the best guy and you know I'm not big on this first ballot Hall of Fame thing but if it exists then this is how it's got to be Jim Brown and sit down if you've got to say one <laughs> word more than that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer
1: well, that's the signal that Ron at is back in the house. The house. <laughs> Hopefully, Ron, please don't talk about the Red Sox. You mentioned one before. Please don't. Ronnie, what do you have for us?
2: <laughs> well, Terrell Owens created a problem last week for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now there are rumors that the Hall's contemplating making one for itself to try and avoid a repeat of T.O.'s induction no-show. One wonders Why? Clearly, a large number of Hall of Famers were not happy with Owen's decision to snub them in the hall to protest, having had to wait three years for his induction. Well, tell that to, tell that to his Hall of Fame classmate, Jerry Kramer, who was not only all decade, which T.O. was not, but he was also all 50th anniversary year team, which T.O. would never be. Kramer waited 45 years to be inducted. Now, that was bogus. A story now in circulation is that some who run the hall discuss the possibility of making the 25 semifinalists sign an agreement that if elected, they would attend. This is the same organization that tells the voters they can't consider anything that didn't happen on the field or in the locker room when evaluating a candidate. If they're going to stand by their own bylaws, how can they make perfect attendance a Hall of Fame prerequisite? They cannot because it's bogus. This is the kind of mistake that someone makes when people feel pressured to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. It's also the kind of chaos that T.O. so often created within the locker rooms of his former employers, which were many. He acts like a petulant child, and then others feel a compulsion to respond. Why? First, T.O. is the first inductee in 50 years not to attend the enshrinement. This includes Harry Carson, who after nearly a decade of being voted down, said he didn't want to be considered anymore. But when he got the call, he couldn't get to the hall fast enough. So the idea that T.O. is going to lead a rash of Hall of Fame no-shows is bogus on the face of it. Second, if someone doesn't want to show, they don't have to. Heck, Marlon Brando didn't show, and they still gave him the Oscar in 1973. They just handed it to Sasheen Littlefeather. And you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing Little Feather show up instead of T.O. That would be great. <laughs> the idea that the hall has to take action to compel inductees to attend is, frankly, nuts. It's not necessary. Sometimes when you have a child throwing a tantrum, the best thing to do is
1: ignore him i tell you what's not nuts, Ron. we got to go to break. Nice job, by the way. When we return, we'll hear from John Lynch's presenter. That be Hall of Fame voter, Ira Kaufman. You're listening to the Talk of
0: Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, we were just talking about how someone like
0: John Lynch might be
1: left at the station in the next couple of years when safeties like Ed Reed and Troy Polamalu become candidates. And now we have someone who can address that issue directly. I'm talking about Hall of Fame voter Ira Kaufman of JoeBuckFan.com, who presented John Lynch last year, and I think Ari presented him to the board the last five years, right? I believe I'm 0 for 5, Mr. Judge. I believe that's correct. <laughs> okay. you got to <laughs> wait to catch up to Ron Borges there as a finalist. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Um, a, uh, the feeling seems to be, um, especially after last year, that John Lynch's candidacy, even though he's been a top-ten finalist the past three years, could be in danger – the next few years, and that he might even start moving to the back of the pack, uh, especially with Reed coming up, Palamala coming up. Is that true, or is that false? I wish I could argue with your point,
6: Clark, but I've been around uh, the whole same block enough. I started in 05, and I kind of see the way things work. Now, look, two linebackers got in last year. That was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron, and Ron can tell you, you know, that he's worried about Champ Bailey and can two corners get in and can he squeeze Ty Tyler in, uh, in there? So, you know, I hope this isn't true, but years from now, I think I might be looking back at uh, the class of 2017 as Lynch's best shot, and uh, that was Dawkins' first year. He took enough votes away from Lynch that year in Houston Mm-hmm. Uh, that Jason Jason Taylor, you know, who was the only pass rusher on the board, uh, snuck in, and, and not many people thought Jason Taylor was getting in as a first time eligible. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I might be looking back at 2017 as as the year that John Lynch should have got in. Yeah, when you say not
1: many people thought Jason Taylor get in his first ballot, including the guy who presented him. I mean, Armando <laughs> was surprised. Armando Segura was surprised. Um, I, I'm yeah. glad you brought up the, uh, the two linebackers at the same position because it wasn't just two linebackers. We had two wide receivers in the same class, too. I mean, there are four guys there, two positions, all in the same class. And Do you find any comfort in that? I mean, you figure Ed Reed's going to be a gimme here this year, and, and Tony Gonzalez, I guess. And, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we include Champ Bailey. That leaves two spots. For five guys who were top 10 finishers a year ago, including John Lynch. Um, but do you find any comfort in the fact that we had two linebackers and two wide right receivers in the same class?
6: Uh, a little bit. But, you know, Clark, one of, one of the things I had going uh, for me as a Lynch advocate, uh, uh, you know, starting, uh, you know, three, four years ago is um, the lack of respect shown to the safety position. Now, you mm-hmm. know, now Kenny, Kenny Easley's in. Um, You know, uh, Ed Ed Reed's uh, going in. Dawkins is going in. Palomao's probably going in. So, you know, I might have lost that little bargaining chip. I might have lost it. Um, Look, my problem with John Lynch is simple, guys. I don't want to oversimplify it, but he he doesn't have numbers. I can't create numbers where they're not there. He doesn't have them. Uh, relatively speaking, for the safety position. Um, you know, I think he averaged less than two interceptions uh, per year for, for his career. Um, Dawkins was a w- walking stat machine. You guys know that. Um, the irony is, Rondé Barber is kind of a walking stat machine, and he didn't even get in the room last year uh, in right. the first year of eligibility. Uh, I hope that can be rectified. But, you know, guys, I'm, I'm pulling out all the stops on Lynch. I've tried everything. I, I've tried to uh, – really play the tampa defense trump card with you know that three-headed monster and that's not working um i think it's actually you tell me but i I think it's working against lynch that that brooks and Sapper are already in for a team that only made one super bowl i think it's working against them
3: or how do you get across that it's a different game today than what john lynch played steve at war seven same problem he was a guy that was more of a box safety, didn't get the interceptions. That's what they seemed to want, didn't get the sacks. Atwater Lynch, those were the physical tone setters. Look at their tackles. How do you get that point across that they're playing a different game than the one uh, Troy Polamalu and Brian Dawkins played?
6: Well, Rick, one way you do it is uh, through a conversation I had with Joe Harrigan about two weeks ago where I suggested to Joe, you know, hey, Joe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll use a two- or three-minute video. Uh, of Lynch on the field and the way they used them and what an incredible uh, you know run supporter he was and and Joe Harrigan said uh, Ira you can uh, you can send that video out to uh, all the selectors uh, a couple of weeks before but uh, there ain't going to be no video in that room <laughs> <laughs> No problem. and uh, so you yeah. know I'm, I'm trying guys I'm trying but you know Rick makes a great point guys you know. You've got to take a guy in context, the way he was used, the way that Dungy wanted to use him, the way that he was used in Denver. Um, he wasn't a free safety. He was a strong safety. Right. And there's a difference. Um, and, uh, boy, there's so many guys like Donnie Shell out there, Rick, that, that have big numbers. And, um, you know, they, they can't make any headway. Donnie Schell, Atwater, where are these guys? Um, it's hard. It's really hard uh, to, to quantify guys that, on the surface, don't have big numbers.
3: I've had a few guys it took a couple times to get into the uh, get through the room to get elected, and my feeling was I had to have a different hook every time I presented them something new. So, what's the something new on John Lynch?
6: Well, I'll tell you one thing, uh, you unholy trio. I'm going to have something uh, on February third, or whatever that date is. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hitting Atlanta running, and um, and I ain't stopping. So, look. Well, Lynch is slipping. Guys, Lynch is slipping. And uh, the proof is he he did not make the final 10 last year. He didn't survive the first cut. And when that happened, that was a real jolt to me. That was a jolt. I knew Dawkins was a serious, you know, contender. And I knew that there's probably going to be three uh, first-time guys in there. That's rough. Uh, Twelve guys fighting for two spots. That's rough. But um, I, I did expect him to make the first cut. So when a guy has been making that cut from 15 to 10, and then he doesn't, uh, that's going the wrong way. You know, Goose has probably had somebody that that's happened to. If you're in that room long enough, that, that's going to happen. And I remember, guys, I remember calling Rick up. You know, I was depressed after, uh, after Minneapolis. and Besides the weather, I was depressed. And uh, and I and I called Goose and I go, you know, Rick, I'm going, you know, I'm thumbing through this Hall of Fame media guide and I'm looking for guys that disappear after being in there five, six, seven years in a row. And I, I said, Rick, I came across Bob Kuchenberg. Bob Kuchenberg, five, six, seven years. All of a sudden, he's gone. He's absolutely gone. He never, he's never been back. And Rick says, I, Ira, that can happen. That can happen. And um, boy, would I hate to see that happen in number forty-seven.
2: Well, we we just had, Ira, uh, this past week, a situation where uh, someone elected to the Hall of Fame uh, took the process uh, very personally and failed to show up, T.O. You. Um, when you're presenting a guy, and a guy you clearly believe in, uh, and you've done it five times, um, how do you avoid uh, both you taking it personally and John Lynch taking it personally? I mean, uh, is there is there any sort of, you know, how do you fight fight off that side of it and just continue to make the case?
6: Well, it's not easy, guys. It's not easy. I want the listeners of this broadcast to know that. For example, um, in Minneapolis on Friday, I was invited to a luncheon. Uh, I think some of you guys were there. Uh, yep. David Baker was there. And um, and Lynch showed up. You know, Lynch was in town, and his wife was there. And, you know, they spot me in the lobby. I have a short conversation. And, and his wife looks at me like, you know, you're going to get this done. And I said, of course. Uh, and Lynch looks at me, and then... You know, uh, I'm going to see her again this year at some point, and you know, she's going to look at me like I'm, I'm 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 failing her husband. I'm failing. Um, now Lynch is class personified. You guys have been around him enough. Yep. He's not going to pout. I even asked him, you know, should I try to get somebody else to do the presentation? He said anybody but gorgeous. But uh, you know, <laughs> he's right about that. <laughs> oh man, oh, man. I, uh, you know, there goes guys, that guys, vote. You do... <laughs> guys, you do take it personal. Uh, Ron, there's no question. You take it personal. You, you think you failed a little bit. I'm sure you're getting a little bit of heat back home. Uh, you know, when you got back about Ty Law, nobody sure. knows what's going on in that room. But guys, you got 12 guys fighting for two spots. You know, something's got to give. And um, you know, they're all good. They're all strong candidates. Uh, what if you're Alan Fanica's guy? You know, you're wondering what's going on. So, it's it, it, you know, he's a heck of a candidate. I mean, um, he kind of reminds me. Um, Guys, of, uh, that, that Kansas City guard, it took him three or four times. And I think he's one of the most um, – I think he's one of the greatest candidates that, that I've seen in about 13 years.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, Will Shields. Will Shields, he Good was. Question.
6: Absolutely, Will Shields. Not a blemish to his name. Not a blemish. I and um, ask, ask if you could pitch so, him. <laughs> 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 so, you know, guys, now look. Here's what I'm thinking about now. You tell me. But I, I think there's a chance. Remote maybe, but there's a chance. Lynch doesn't get in the room this year. There's a chance. And uh, so I think about that.
2: Oh, wow. That would be a bit of a that's, shocker. That's so uh, much Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, wow. Uh,
6: and, uh, you know, people, guys, people ask me, you know, hey, uh, this high profile he's got now is a 49er GM, and, of course, he's off to a really good start. Uh, does that play any role in this thing? And I say, well, I don't bring it up because I don't think I should. Uh, I think that would work against me. And I really don't think anybody thinks of it like that. I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, I don't think that's a factor in the room either way. <laughs>
2: Well, our, you know, really quick, we've got about a minute here. Um, one of the things that I've thought about uh, and I intend to speak about uh, in February is this explosion, in my opinion, of first ballot Hall of Famers, which I think has right. is, is, uh, been uh, uh, ill-serving the hall, number one. And, and I think part of it's a process of, of, of a bunch of guys in the room because I've heard them say it. Well, I just picked the best five guys on the list which you know sounds very logical but it's utterly illogical because of the nature of the of the queue and 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 all of that you know and if everybody's jumping over everybody uh you know we're going to have a mess in the senior, a bigger mess than we already have in the senior committee what do you think about that, that, that have we gone too far great, with this?
6: yeah you make a great point ron about the queue you know it's a tough argument it's a tough one uh you can't argue with somebody who says put the five best players in you know you you can't you got no rejoinder to that uh But I'll say this, for personally speaking, um, I like the Q argument because if Lynch is back in that room, he he will be the guy that's been waiting the longest. He will be the guy. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on it. I will mention it. And by the way, and I know David Baker and Harrigan and those guys uh, listen to this broadcast. Let me throw my two cents in, guys. Uh, If they're serious about floating this idea and this notion about the waiver with the semifinalists, don't, don't do it, guys. Don't do it. It's a terrible idea. Don't overreact to an aberration.
1: That, that's my two cents, guys.
2: Agreed. Thanks,
1: that's Ara. So we got to run. Best of luck with John Lynch in 2019. You may need it. Thanks, right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks, it. John. That was Hall of Fame voter, Ara Kaufman from Tampa. Up next, Hall of Fame resident. and that's Baltimore GM, Ozzie Newsom. This is the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Gosling, and Ron Borges. Well, next guest not only was a Hall of Fame tight end for the Cleveland Browns, but
1: he didn't already have a busting can; He might be in line for another as general manager of the Baltimore Ravens. I'm talking, of course, the Baltimore GM, Ozzie Newsome, who has such a keen eye for talent that he built two different Super Bowl championship teams through the draft with two different head coaches and two different quarterbacks. Now, the one constant of those two teams, of course, was middle linebacker Ray Lewis, and he received his own bust in Canton last week, so get this. In his very first draft as general manager in 1996, Ozzie drafted two Hall of Famers in the same round, the first round. That'd be Jonathan Ogden with the fourth overall pick, and Ray Lewis with the twenty six and he's here today to discuss the career of his second ever draft choice. Ozzy, thanks so much for joining us and welcome back. Thanks for inviting me to join you guys. I always enjoy talking
7: football with you, drink.
3: So Ozzy, explain this one to us. How does a player with the obvious talent of Ray Lewis,
7: I can barely hear
3: you. Uh, explain this to us. How does a player with the obvious talent of Ray Lewis slide all the way to the twenty sixth overall pick of a draft? Why did so many teams miss on him?
7: Uh, you have to think back, Rick, and, uh, you know, the majority of teams were playing the 34 defense. And, you know, you wanted to have big linebackers like Harry Carson or uh, Pepper Johnson, you know, those big old guys that could, you know, sit there and, and uh, take on those guards. Well, you know, Ray was barely six foot and probably right at 220 uh, when he was, you know, measured at the combine and at his pro day. So he didn't fit the prototype. You know, he was more of a guy that was, you know, uh, built to play in a 4-3. And uh, so I think that's what really happened. And, you know, so, uh, you know, who was taking linebackers, uh, middle linebackers that high in the draft at that point. So I think those are a couple of the reasons why he fell.
2: Uh, Ozzy, as you know better than we do, when you draft uh, anybody, to a degree, you're drafting on hope more than anything else. You're hoping he can become the player that you think he can be. Um, when when Ray Lewis showed up, when did you realize that, that he was special and he could exceed maybe even your own expectations for
7: him? Well, you know, when we, uh, first got him in the first mini camp, we still had Pepper, uh, on the team. And, uh, and Pepper was wearing 52, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think Ray was in, it up with 59. And so we played Ray at wheel linebacker. But, uh, because of cap reason, we, uh, We had to let Pepper go, and Marvin immediately uh, inserted Ray in at the Mike position and let him start running the huddle. And it was like, you know, he had been there forever. But I think what uh, started to see something different about Ray is that our very first game against the Raiders, uh, and, uh, the Raiders in the red area with the opportunity to, with a, for a go ahead touchdown. And Ray, you know, uh, made a, a critical, uh, interception for us. You know, uh, it was a great interception, uh, you know, down in the middle of the field to clinch the game for us. So, you know, he had that knack to always be in the right spot at the right time and could make game changing plays.
1: Well, anyone, as you know, he has been in or around the Baltimore Ravens knows about Ray's leadership skills. I mean, in the locker room, on the field, they're everywhere. But but it's tough to lead any team as a rookie. So I guess I'm wondering for you, how and when did you see Ray assert himself as a team captain?
7: Well, you know, he was uh, was surrounded by some real good leaders. Uh, Shannon Sharp, Rob Woodson, Tony Saragusa, uh, Rob Burnett. So he was around some guys. And, you know, in order to be a leader, you have to be led. And, uh, Ray watched those guys, especially, uh, Ray, I mean, uh, Rod and Shannon and how they prepared and how they went about getting themselves ready for a game. So, uh, when those guys moved on, then it was almost, it was a natural for him to, uh, take that spot as a leader. But he just didn't lead, you know, verbally. He did it every day he went out to practice, every day in the meetings, and he showed up on game day.
3: How much did his leadership play in shaping the identity of your first Super Bowl team in 2000 that fielded one of the greatest defenses in NFL history?
7: Well, I, I mean, you know, uh, we had some great players on that defense. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, Ray was the leader. You know, uh, they followed Ray, Uh, and there were some other veteran guys on that team. You know, Rob and Goose, but as well as Rob. But you know, they were—you know—they could follow Ray. But the thing that Ray did, he made plays. I mean, that Super Bowl game was one of the best games I've ever seen a a middle linebacker play. I mean, he got—he must got his hands on four or five balls. you know, the the play that he made when Tiki Barber, you know, had broke uh, around the uh, end. He ran him down. Uh, so he did it by his performance.
2: Is there a play that sticks out for you? If I said to you, uh, you know, tell me who Ray Lewis was in one play, is there a play that really sticks out for you, Ozzie?
7: You know, uh, I'm sitting there trying to think of one one play. You know, was it you know I you know, I guess it would have been on that Super Bowl run where he had the uh he had was in coverage on Eddie George and he and Eddie George had, had been battling the whole game, and uh, you know, like I said again, at a critical time, uh, they tried to stick one in there. You know, Ray intercepted the ball, and it basically won that game for us. So, I think that was maybe that was the maybe the second play. I mean, because you talk about that first play against the Raiders, but that one I think defined him and defined us as a football team, and set us on that path to win that uh, Super Bowl.
1: Ozzy, similar question here, but. What's your favorite memory of Ray, whether it's on the field or off the field? Was it that play or was it something else?
7: Well, uh, you know, I, I, I would have to say this. Uh, we, Mr. Modell was not doing very well. And, uh, and so we were going to introduce Mr. Modell out on the field. And to see the hug. That he and Ray had. I mean, you know, because we know about, you know, what happened at, at the 2000, at the 99 Super Bowl and so forth, that how Mr. Modell had stood behind him and how Ray had rewarded him for doing it by, you know, the way he had conducted himself and the way he played on the field. But when the two of them embraced, it, you just, it was just something special.
3: Um, You didn't play against Joe Schmidt, Dick Butkus, or Will Lanier, but you did play against Jack Lambert. You did play against Mike Singletary. Where do you think Ray fits in your eyes among the great middle linebackers in history?
7: You know, I, you know, I always talk about you know putting guys on a cul-de-sac because there's so many great players. You know, I don't, I don't. It's hard to put one guy in one mansion up on the hill. If you got a cul-de-sac, then you can put him. You can put a player on that cul-de-sac, and uh, and he belongs right there with those guys. You know, because you, all of the guys that you talked about were guys not only that were productive in the run game, but they were very productive in the pass game. And the other things, they were the leader of their defense and the leader of their
2: Team. Um, You know, one of the great rivalries in football is, of course, the Ravens and the Steelers. Seems like a street fight every time you guys play. um, How much of a a part did Ray play in in stoking the flames of that into the current? That it is. Well,
7: you know, uh it was him and, and Hines War. I mean, you know, and you would think back to, you know, Sandlot Lot days where you know, you you know, you would choose guys or you know, if you had a brother you would never play on the same team with your brother right. and you just go after it. And you know what, and it was very highly competitive, highly physical and you, I mean, it was, you know, hey, you deliver a punch, I deliver a punch. And, you know, whoever, you know, punched the most was probably going to win that game. And that's the way that, that the game was played. And it's still played that way, um, currently. So, uh, I think it was, uh, a, a, a thing that he and Hines Ward had that, uh, really got through it. But, you know, I've been in that still a rivalry all the way back to 1978. So, uh, but for that, part of Ray's career, and when we were playing the Steelers, it was about Hinesworth, and then you throw the bus in there, too, so uh, you know, we just didn't like for other people to uh, uh, impose their will on us. We wanted to impose our
1: will on them, and that's what Ray would do. When you said you didn't like the other people, we had Heinz Ward on here. <laughs> he was a little more direct. He said there was a hatred for him had a hatred for the Ravens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, Oz, I want to ask you a question about this past weekend, the Hall of Fame um, induction ceremony. Um, Ray was the last speaker, and he was pretty inspirational, and he certainly covered a lot of subjects. But you looked like you were having a good time there. Two-part question. A, what did you enjoy most about his address? And B, who's getting
7: the dry cleaning bill for Ray's jacket <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh, i'm sure uh, bashad would be more than happy to pick up the the, the bill on the coat to, uh, to get it clean but you know wow. what uh, i you know I've, i i through jonathan's you know i had to do it myself and then i came back uh, you know the next year and then i came back for my tenth my fifth and my tenth but you know what when and uh, you know, i got a little emotional uh with ray you know, right before, uh, you know, he uh, when Chris was uh, giving his introduction, I got a little emotional, so I had to gather myself, and I don't know why uh, mm. I did, but uh, yeah, I did, you know, I knew that, you know, it was going to come from his heart, you know, and I knew it was gonna be, he was going to be up there for a while, but I knew it was going to be entertaining. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, it was. Did
3: you, did you think about <laughs> jumping up on stage and dancing with him? And no, yeah.
7: you leave that to the young guys, you know what? <laughs> 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 you know, I'm to the age right now. You know, uh, I've, I'm very limited in what I do. You know, to be able to continue to do it for the rest of my life.
3: <laughs> how much? How much do you think he misses football?
7: Well, you know what, it, it was such a big part of that. But I, I think, you know, what he missed is being around the guys, you know, uh, having a chance to, you know, being around a young player, those young linebackers that we would bring in. I mean, we we played with what, uh, once Jamie left, with probably three or four undrafted college free agents that played next to Ray. And they could do that because it was Ray. So I, I think, you know, you 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 don't ever – get beyond that. You know, I still don't... I haven't gotten beyond it, and you know I go down in the locker room now. You know they they see me in the locker room, and it's it's no big deal. So you miss that, you miss that camaraderie, you you miss the chance to compete. You know uh, at the highest level, you don't ever get over get. You can find nothing to replace those things, and you and you search for them, but you don't ever do. And then you just get to the point to say, okay, that was a part of of my life, or he's saying that's a part of his life, and now he's making that adjustment. And I think that adjustment is coming through him spending more time with his with his kids. You know that's where you start to get some joy is watching his two sons now who play. You know and his his one of his daughter that introduced him at uh, at the Hall of Fame. Uh, she goes to the University of Alabama. So you know spending time with them is I think what he's he's taking everything he did in football now he's taking it and he's and he's getting it directed toward uh, his kids.
3: Aziz, you know you said that it's no big deal when you walked to the locker room. Uh, Next time, put that gold jacket on.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, one thing about it, you know, I've probably, when I had to put it on uh, Thursday night to go down to get my ring and I was on the sideline, you could see their eyes light up. And one other time is when J.O. got his ring, I wore it. And, I mean, it is something uh, that – other, you know, young players, and I don't, <clears throat> I can't describe it, <clears throat> but when they see that gold jacket, it's special, you know, it ain't about the signing bonus, it ain't about the long-term contracts, it ain't about touchdowns or sacks, when you, when they see that jacket, it's something special to them, and that's from a, you know, from the... the 300 pick in the draft all the way to the first pick. It's just something about that jacket that, that uh, those guys see
1: it, and it and they get amazed by it. Ozzie, thanks so much for the time, and best of luck in your last season's GM with the Baltimore Ravens. Thanks. Thank you, and I enjoyed talking with you guys. Thanks, Bye-bye. Ozzie. You got it, Oz. I was Baltimore GM Ozzy Newsom. Up next, two minute drill.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, time to cue up our referee du jour one more time. That's the yes, sir. That means it's time for the two minute drill. So, Ronnie, get us started.
2: California state income tax is 13.3%. Nevada's is zero. Shouldn't Khalil Mack be better off waiting until next year to seek a raise?
1: Yes, he should, but the Raiders' asked is not to tell him.
3: <laughs> Ron, did anyone ever advise you to wait a year for your next raise? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guys I work for. Uh, and Dominick Sue's new deal pays him $14 million this season, but he says Aaron Donald deserves more, and Donald agrees. Will
1: the Rams... Uh, yes, but you know what? Ron sees? he's spending other people's money.
3: The guy who's not writing the checks always talks the best game.
2: Seattle safety Earl Thomas is demanding a raise or he be traded. Three years ago, his teammate Cam Chan- uh, Chancellor held out for two games, lost a million bucks, and didn't get a new contract. Will
1: Seattle blink this time? No, they'll just set in the NFC West.
3: Seahawks are no longer a contender. They are a rebuilder, so Thomas could be sitting for a while.
2: Only five Colts remain from the 2014 team that lost the AFC championship game to the Patriots. Do they know what they're doing in Indianapolis? Sure. They're racing the 500
1: there again next year.
3: (laughs) They know it was a whole lot easier winning titles when the Colts had Unitas and Manning taking the snaps.
2: (laughs) Word is the Hall of Fame is concerning a T.O. rule that would demand the 25 semifinalists each year. Sign an agreement, not the boycott. Does this create a bigger problem than it's trying to solve?
1: We can only hope.
3: I'd wait another hundred years until the second player skips the induction, then I'd move on the issue.
2: Where will Des Bryant end up this season?
1: In a room planning his Canton boycott.
2: <laughs> like the three
3: of us, Des will be watching from his couch on opening day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Colin Kaepernick is not only out of football, but his name was scrubbed from a song in the latest Madden football game. Accident or idiocy? I don't know. Was the song the National
1: Anthem?
3: <laughs> Intentional. The names Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, and Brett Favre weren't included either. If you're not playing, you don't belong.
2: <laughs> Will Odell Beckham Jr. become the NFL's highest-paid receiver by the season
1: opener? Only if he promises not to lift his leg on the next fire hard
7: gun. <laughs> I think
2: Pat
3: Sherman would like to see what he has on and off the field before the Giants give him that type of security.
4: That's the end of the game.
1: We'd like you- to thank Ozzy Newsom, Buddy Green, Andre Tippett, and Ira Kaufman for joining us, Shay Raffer for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go look for us on our website. That would be com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, dial us up next week, this time, and on this station. We'll be here. We hope you will be, too.